Welcome to the Atlanta Startup Podcast, the briefing room for the innovation ecosystem. I'm Lisa Calhoun, your host and general partner at Atlanta venture capital firm, Valor Ventures. On this show, I bring you the investors, the founders, and the activators creating the fastest emerging venture capital ecosystem in the country. Matt Sniff from Matt My Customers, a Valor portfolio firm. It is so exciting to welcome an actual Valor founder to the Atlanta Startup Podcast. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. Really excited to, to, to chat on the show. Um, I know we're not an Atlanta, you know, company per se, but it, it certainly feels like uh, part of our heart is in Atlanta. So excited to be here. So tell us what you're working on now. Yeah, so uh, I, it, it is interesting. You know, I, I, I guess I never really thought that I would be in startups for as long as I have been. Um, you know, I never thought of it really as being in startups when I started doing startups back uh, around freshman year of college. So that was about 10 years ago. Um, really got into it pretty, pretty hard, pretty quickly. Uh, developed uh, a bunch of applications for the iPhone back when I was in school, as well as a handful of websites and, and stuff like this, and really just got super interested in making things that people like to use. And, um, you know, that was always the main thing was building stuff that actually folks got value from and folks could um, give you feedback on and that you could make better over and over and over very quickly. So it was always just a very satisfying cycle. And, um, you know, my path led me to be a developer immediately after school in San Francisco for a company called Climate Corp. And I was there for a little while and um, was always working on something on the side. And the tool that I started building on the side was actually a Christmas present for my father back in uh, 2014, right before 2015 started. And it kind of just took off, right? I started developing it for him as um, you know, a tool to basically help him be more productive in the field. He's a field sales rep. And so what he does is goes around and travels all the time to basically sell his, uh, his good, which is uh, flooring, hardwood flooring, vinyl flooring, stuff like this, um, to businesses, right? And you know, he's been doing that for a very long time. And to be able to produce a technology that actually makes him more productive for something he's been doing for such a long time was pretty cool. And, and it really grew pretty quickly. So you know, I, I put this on the App Store um, you know, sort of at his suggestion, and it started to kind of grow from there. And once it hit about 100 paying customers, that was kind of the threshold where I told myself, if I can hit 100 paying customers who aren't, you know, my neighbors uh, or my dog or my family, friends, then it would be worthwhile to kind of take this full time. And it would be, you know, it would be kind of a mistake not to. And, and then that's exactly what I did. So I took it full time in February of 2016 and didn't really raise any money until the following year. So about exactly a year after that. And then both years uh, subsequently from there, I raised capital again. Um, now, so, now you, did you build this all in San Francisco or did you choose to move somewhere else? So I was only in San Francisco for the first year. So for the first 12 or 14 months. Um, and that's why I was still working uh, at Climate Corp, right? So once I left Climate Corp, I had to immediately vacate San Francisco just off of uh, financial premise alone. Um, it wasn't really feasible to, to be there with uh, the kind of revenue that we had. So I moved back east. I was actually in the Carolinas for some time. Um, we landed in Richmond, Virginia for five months and went through a great program called Lighthouse Labs there, which is a nonprofit accelerator. So they don't take equity in your company and they basically give you 20,000 bucks to work on your company and your idea for the summer. 
Um, so we went through that program and that was a really good experience where we met our seed investors down in Raleigh, North Carolina. And from there, we were in Raleigh for two years, right? And we still have some folks in Raleigh. Um, we're just not centrally located in Raleigh anymore. And, you know, basically kickstarted the funding of uh, the, the cycle of fundraising, right? So raised in spring of 2017, spring of 2018, spring of 2019, it's just so a nonprofit accelerator that took no equity kicked off your fundraising journey. That is um, a story I think a lot of founders who are listening will be interested to hear because that's becoming a more and more popular option. And um, you know, ecosystem builders that like Lighthouse Labs is that what it was called? Yeah, it's called Lighthouse Labs in Richmond, Virginia. Awesome. And so, what brought you to New York? So New York, um, that was an interesting move, and it was atypical for a couple of reasons. First being, we did not move there to raise money. Um, and that would be the first guess, I think, of most uh, startup founders, is you would move to a bigger city. And even keep in mind, Atlanta is a big city for someone who's you know, been operating in Raleigh for a couple of years. Um, you know, it's, it, it wasn't the case. We didn't go there to raise money. So when we moved up, it was kind of a limitation we had down in um, the North Carolina market where we weren't getting enough candidates. And I think that was just because, you know, I moved directly into Raleigh, not having ever lived there before. And so as a founder, it was really difficult to break through without a network. Um, and even if I spent the next, you know, which I did two years building a network, you know, even through like our seed investors and whatnot, um, it could only go so far. And I think, you know, warm introductions are great, even in like sales, you know, warm introductions are the best, but they only take you so far. Um, so you know, and New York was just a lot of opportunity for business development as well as hiring people, right? And there's a whole lot of people to hire in New York, but I think, you know, has it been flawless and perfect for us? Absolutely not. But is there a large pool of people who are very hungry to work on, on startups and, um, you know, will see upside incentive and equity and whatnot as a, you know, really exciting thing? Uh, yes, there are, right? And it's not like those things don't exist in other places or down in the North Carolina region. Um, it was just sort of, you know, what we went for. And we did end up raising a little bit of money, but not a lot in New York, specifically from New York investors. Um, actually, you know, most, the overwhelming majority of our money came from the Southeast, from Raleigh to Atlanta to Fort Lauderdale. Great. So your lead investor right now, um, and we're really excited to be a part of the round, is, is Las Olas out of Florida. Mm -hmm. And then Val got to participate in that round, which was, I think, your, your seed, your first equity round. What, um, what happened since then in terms of how working with investors remotely has supported or maybe not supported the company well enough? Because I think founders make these tough calls all the time when they're <laughs> thinking about who to have on their cap table. Yeah. You've actually had a real live experience. So I'd love to learn a little bit from that. Yeah, it's interesting. So um, what I would say to that is it, it, hurts, it hurts the founder a little bit more than maybe the investor, uh, you know, because, you know, especially if you're an earlier stage uh, founder and younger founder, maybe first time founder, you want more, you know, sort of interaction and help and guidance from your investors um, and a lot of that sort of just implicitly happens through being where they physically are, right? So co-founders is a fantastic firm. I think they've done a really good job of still working with us, even though we're remote. Um, you know, but when I go down there, you know, obviously it's very helpful to have conversations off the record conversations, stuff like this, uh, when you're actually physically at the lab per se. Um, you know, other than that, you know, I think Las Olas is actually, uh, 
they're centered in Fort Lauderdale, but they're kind of decentralized a little bit. A lot of the partners are spread throughout the country. Um, so that's been interesting, but they're in New York quite a bit, which is pretty helpful. So that's been pretty good. And then even in Val, you know, in Valor's case, right, you invite us down for a lot of events and stuff like that, which we took advantage of last year for Founders Day. Um, and that was pretty cool, right? And there's, there's a whole lot of value you guys provide, even when I'm not physically in Atlanta, from customer connections to being able to connect us to, you know, candidates, as well as just talk about strategy, um, you know, for go to market and stuff like this. So as far as like sort of feeling like I'm missing out on something, it's probably more on the side of like uh, maybe founder therapy than anything else, right? So, you know, and I think that's true. Like the human connection is lost even on a video call. Um, so from like, uh, you know, being able to connect with someone who's been there, done that, which a lot of our investors have been operators in the past, that is best done in person, of course, and always will be. Um, so that's lost. But, you know, aside from that, as long as we can make regularly scheduled trips, and you know regularly scheduled meetings in person happen it's not such a big deal per se so map my customers has been growing a lot learning a lot releasing cool new software you know for the listeners out there actually let's please just tell us what you do in your own words so that people mm -hmm. who might actually need to become a customer know when to refer you or know when to use the product yeah, so Map My Customers is focused on the problem of uh, really the traveling salesperson, right? So we work with folks who um, operate in the field to sell something to either an individual or a business to help them be in the right place with the right customer at the right time or the right prospect at the right time. So kind of like, you know, we think of ourselves as sort of uncovering the black box that can be field sales, right? A lot of the folks that we sell into are high-level revenue leaders at big, big companies. And they really have no idea sort of what the reps are doing in the field on a daily or weekly basis, um, which is an issue because then if they don't know, uh, the reps aren't getting that back into CRM and they're not understanding sort of the full picture of what actual activities are driving success in the field. So, you know, we've developed a tool or really a suite of tools that helps uh, an individual rep and it's very rep friendly. It's very, you know, consumer friendly, uh, be more productive, right? So things from like generating leads on the fly while you're on the field to being able to optimize routes very quickly to being able to, you know, see which pens are red, which are ones that are overdue to be seen, which we call cadence management. These are all things that we do where we're moving is towards sort of this idea of an agenda where we can kind of become an intelligent uh, work planner or week planner for reps where we can actually, you know, sort of sync with their existing appointments and meetings in the field. But in between that, maybe they want to go visit at-risk accounts on a Tuesday afternoon or do some prospecting with tier C accounts on Wednesday mornings. And then we can dynamically suggest routes to go and see sorts of customers um, in those blocks of time. So kind of being able to layer on a recipe, almost like a sales loft kind of a thing, uh, but for field sales specifically, if that makes sense. Are there any industries where field sales is particularly important that you are focusing on or seeing a lot mm -hmm. of activity in? Yeah, we're really focused on medical devices right now, as well as, you know, sort of, um, clinical testing and we're focused in on the East coast cause that's a, you know, that's kind of a big net to cast. And these companies are, you know, usually more sophisticated from like a tech perspective as well as a sales perspective. And what we found is that they take better to really trying out new things and pushing the envelope um, with technology to enable their reps. And they really want to understand how to be better. Like they're really interested in outperforming the field per se. Uh, so these are sorts of companies that we're trying to get in touch with. So map by customers, you know, 
about how many is on the team today, just as we're mm. talking. I know it's a real dynamic number. It is. So we're about 30 people in total. Um, you know, roughly half of those are a little bit over half are full time in our New York office and the rest are spread out globally. Uh, so it's a pretty distributed team across the board. As you're looking at your growth path, what are some of the key positions, key hires that you're looking to fill in the next six to 12 months? The number one uh, sort of role that I'm very much focused on right now is some sort of revenue leader, whether that be a VP of sales or a CRO type individual um, up in the city here. And, you know, this person will be instrumental for our success. We really haven't had the, a high level revenue leader, you know, to date, right? It's, it's not been a, something that we've had, which is, you know, I think really, um, you know, limited our growth or as, you know, much growth as we think we can do. And then later on in the year, we'll be looking for a VP of engineering. We currently have an interim CTO that is down in the Carolinas, but we'll be looking for a VP of engineering come middle of the year or so. So looking back to when you were like three people from where you are at 30, what would you advise other founders at that stage of growth? Um, you know, kind of lessons learned looking back at things mm. you wish you could tell yourself. <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. So um, I think about that question a lot myself personally. Uh, I would say I would have kept the team uh, more senior, but smaller longer, if that makes sense, instead of, you know, building it out as quickly as we did with really a number of junior folks, having a strong middle management core was imperative. And we didn't necessarily have that as soon as we would have liked. And so that, that really caused some issues from um, an employee churn perspective, as well as just being able to make progress on the product. And that really hurt us a whole lot. Another thing I would think about is, you know, think about what kind of sales leader you really need. I think a lot of founders get told you've got revenue leaders that fit for zero to 1 million in sales, one to five, five to 10, 10 to 10 and up, you know, something along those lines, brackets might shift, but you're always like listening to this like sort of idea of a revenue leader. And I think that's actually very true. Um, I think we had a pretty good revenue leader from zero to 1 million down in the Carolinas. And then beyond that, we haven't found the right leader to take us to five yet. And that's wildly different personality and individual than the person to take you from zero to one. Fascinating. And so, you know, to recap, you would stay leaner, longer, but more senior people. And a lot of founders would mm -hmm. say, that's really expensive. How would I afford it? Because I can only afford the people that my revenues are. That, that's kind of a trade-off, I think, that a lot of founders yeah yeah it, it is and i think we ended up becoming a, a slightly more junior team because we were trying to add a lot of individual contributors very quickly and for the price of one senior person you could add you know four junior people in some cases or maybe even more and you know i yeah i i think we we just really didn't focus on that middle management part right so we we added too many individual contributors too quickly without having the right middle management layer and the other core thing, now that I think about it, that we really missed was having a defined product organization, right? Um, the reason we didn't build a defined product organization was because we always thought our engineering leader could do it. We always thought that the CTO could just own product management and uh, that really hurt us. And, you know, I had gotten a lot of feedback, you know, when we were in seed stage back in 2017, 2018, like early seed stage, that you really didn't need a product organization until you were like, you know, call it 40 people right and i think we really needed a product team at five people right we needed 
and I was, was that person to a certain extent, but once we reached like 10 people, which happened pretty quickly going from like three people to 10 people, you know, we didn't have that product person and that ultimately had engineering spinning their wheels. Um, you know, our vision and our, our, our compass was sort of always in my head, but not necessarily everyone else's head. So having that product leader and having that product organization was just as important as engineering. If I would have known that a couple of years ago, I think we would have been in a different place at the moment. Um, and so I, I think that was a very, really important lesson to learn. It's really fascinating. Thanks for sharing that because that, you know, that stuff that's real from your heart, founder to founder, I think it makes a difference when people hear it. And it's not <laughs> the same old, same old dog food that you hear everyone talking about just, uh, you know, just the pitch, so to speak, without the real story behind it. So really appreciate you sharing some of that. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's stuff that I live with every day, right? And uh, like you said, like, what, what have been those things that you would have done differently, right? I, I ask myself that every day, because every day, we're, you know, getting stuff wrong, right? And, and that's not an issue, per se, it can be a good thing and a healthy thing. But I think knowing what you're looking for in terms of how you're scaling your organization is extremely critical. If you can't answer how you want to scale your organization, um, then you probably shouldn't be scaling your organization, right? And that's probably another <laughs> lesson we could have learned as well. You know, it's like a sales process, right? You don't want to spend time with unqualified prospects and you want to have a healthy discovery and qualification process because, you know, you could multiply the amount of time you waste if you don't have a good process. So really understanding what your organization needs and when it needs it, um, that is how you work your way towards product market fit, which is ultimately the only thing that really matters in a startup. So what's feeding you now? Um, and thanks for your time. This is probably a final question, but as a CEO, a founder, leading your company, what is feeding you now? Where are you getting sources of credible, helpful information that, that help you kind of raise your own ceiling? Honestly, I talk to a lot of candidates, right? Um, and when you're, when you're interviewing for like a high level, like VP of sales or CRO type person, uh, you'll get a lot of advice whether you want it or not, right? Speaking to some individuals like this, especially in, in, in the city up here. And I would assume it's the same thing down in Atlanta, right? Like if you're hiring for C-level people um, or like high level leaders of some sort, you're going to get a lot of advice. And I think, you know, at this point, um, that's very true, right? And I found a lot of really valuable conversations were had with candidates who weren't good fits for the role, but could be great fits for an advisory, um, you know, sort of role. And that's okay too, right? I think a lot of people, more so than people think, even in New York, want to just help, right? Especially if their, you know, career is, you know, in the back half of the career, right? They've, you know, their fulfillment for them at that point is making a lasting impact on people a lot of the time, right? Seeing people become leaders that they used to, you know, have work underneath of them. And I think they really just get a lot out of helping others. So, you know, in general, I would say um, might be an unorthodox, ans un unorthodox answer, but actually interviewing for these high-level roles has helped me a lot. That's fantastic to hear. You know, people say as you get older, um, a lot of people's lives tend in the direction of searching for significance, you know, once some of the basic needs are met. And that really lines up well with that thought. So if someone wants to be a part of the team or maybe an advisor role or is excited mm -hmm. about what's going on at Not My Customers and the future of sales, uh, how would they get in touch with the company or with you? What would you recommend? So best way would be to probably um, send me an email. And my email is Matthew with two T's, M-A-T-T-H-E-W at mapmycustomers.me. So that would be the number one way. The second best way would probably be um, to come onto our website and, you know, end up scheduling some time 
uh, you know, with our sales team or something like this, because ultimately I'll, I will see that as well, overseeing the sales team at the moment. Um, but definitely via email would be the best way. Great. And for open positions, those are on your website too? On our website, we have a careers tab. So the best way would be go to the website. I think under the about section, there's a careers link. Um, you can also apply online, right, from LinkedIn as well on our company's page. And, uh, and if you connect with me on LinkedIn and send me a message, I'll probably see that as well. And that would be a good way to get in touch. So Matt, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, Lisa. The Atlanta Startup Podcast catalyzes critical conversations and connections that couldn't otherwise occur in our fast-paced, dense, and dynamic ecosystem. Want to be on the show? Reach out to us at atlantastartuppodcast.com and click on Booking. The Atlanta Startup Podcast is produced by Valor Ventures as a service to the startup and investor community. We couldn't do it without the support of our sponsors, Atlanta Tech Park, the Global Innovation Center, and Right to Market, Atlanta's favorite tech and healthcare marketing firm. Please patronize these local companies with your business and visit them online for more info. And if you'd like to get your information on the Atlanta Startup Podcast or share a message with our listeners, visit us online and check out our affordable rate card. All advertisements here are tax-deductible donations to the Startup Runway Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit whose mission is connecting underrepresented founders to their first investor.